Please turn with me to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. If you have your pew Bible, you'll find that on page 222. I'll be reading from Ruth chapter 1, starting at verse 19. Ruth chapter 1, starting at 19. Hear God's holy and errant word. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me in praying, please. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that this is not just a a fairy tale or a story made up of these women, but your historical account of what actually happened, given as a gift to us as your people, and not just to us, but to your people throughout the ages, that we might, through their real-life experiences, better understand who you are, Lord Christ, and how we are to hope solely in you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand how bitterness works. Not just so that, that we can feel better about therapy, but that we might better understand our own hearts and how your gospel, Lord Christ, is the only answer that will ever bring us healing. We pray that you would do this to the great glory of your name, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. We've been looking together at this book of Ruth and uncovering some of the gift that God has given us in recording this story for us. And it's, it's not like your typical bedtime story or uh, other uh, children's nursery tales, right, that, that is, is a nice little story that gives us a moral lesson, and then we say, oh, well, isn't that nice? Now be good. Unfortunately, that's how a lot of people deal with the Scripture, but that's not how God intended us to deal with Scripture. What we find instead is, is that all of Scripture, the stories, the poems and songs, the prophecies, the Gospels, the, the epistles, all of it, is given by God to his people to reveal to us what God is like and who he's created us to be. And then how we've been twisted because of sin and how the only way that we can get untwisted is through Christ and what he has accomplished in coming to live a perfect life for us and dying on the cross and then rising again from the grave. And that Jesus told his disciples that he was going to do all of these things exactly as the word of God promised. And then he would 
go to prepare a place for us with his father and come back for us. So all of these stories, all of these poems, all of these songs are given to us with that in mind of helping us to see Christ as he truly is. And to understand how we work. Because there's a lot of stuff about ourselves that we don't understand. Paul gets at that in Romans. He says, the things I, I don't want to do, I do. What, what, what's going on? I don't even understand myself. And, and today we're looking particularly at Naomi and, and her discouragement, her, her hurt and bitterness, the, the, the ways that she's begun to think about God that aren't true and that not only are hurtful to God, but, but hurt her and her family. Because things that are not true actually lead to death and destruction. And that what we find in Jesus is that every time the devil told him a lie... Jesus countered it with the truth of God's word. And so we're going to see, particularly in this passage with Naomi, some of how that sin works and how bitterness is, is a trap that, that feels good to us for a little bit but ultimately destroys us and how the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only solution to keep us from that self-destructive bitterness. Well, as I was reading and translating and then looking at commentaries and structure of the passage and all those things as I normally do in preparing to, to bring the Word of God to you, one of the things that stood out to me was this homecoming. That's, that's what we see in the first verse, 19. And so kind of the, the soundtrack that was playing all throughout the, the week for me was that old... Uh, theme song from the, the show Cheers. Remember that in the 80s and early 90s? It was, it was this idyllic uh, pub in, in Boston, right, where everybody knows your name. And how great is that to, to just have a place where you can go and hang out with your friends and, and everybody knows you there. And for those of us here in, in Woodstock and the surrounding towns, we say, you know, I don't have to go anywhere for that, right? That's, that's, Everybody knows my name no matter where I go. I remember going to the, to the library one time. Uh, this is a couple of years into our, our living here, and I introduced myself to the, the lady behind the, the counter, and she said, oh, I know exactly who you are. Right? Everybody knows your name. But, but in the city, like Boston, it, it's very easy to be anonymous. And so... Look at the text and what we find here, that, that Naomi comes to this experience that it's not always great to have everyone know your name. Verse 19 says, So the two of them went on, two of them being Naomi, the mother, and Ruth, the daughter-in-law. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Is, is this Naomi? She's, she's from this small town. Bethlehem, that little town that we know as the birthplace of Jesus, is the city of David, the, the, the little town just outside of Bethlehem. 
And, and it says that the whole town was stirred because of them. Why, why is that? Why is the, the whole town abuzz with Naomi's return? Well, she's from there. And she had left with her husband and her two sons. And everybody knew not only Naomi's name, but they knew all of their names as well. And they also knew that as we looked at it, that, that they were not just from Bethlehem, but Bethlehem was part of the promised land, and that their heritage and home was there, not just because they were born there, but because God had given them that place, that hometown, as part of their inheritance as the people of God. And that when they faced drought, instead of falling on their faces in repentance and calling on their neighbors to likewise pray, they went looking for green pastures somewhere else. They went to, to Moab, the, the, the area just across back across the, the river, Jordan, from where they'd come in coming up from Egypt. This people, descendants of Lot, who were known for their wickedness. And so we've walked through some of the things about Naomi and her family not trusting in Yahweh, the God of the covenant, but looking to provide for themselves according to what they could see. And it didn't turn out very well. Naomi's husband died. And then her two sons married Moabite women that the God of the scripture had specifically prohibited. And then both of those sons died, and Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law. And then she hears this rumor through the grapevine that that God's bringing rain back to Israel. And so they turn to, to go back. But she, uh, Naomi warns them of what it's going to cost. And we talked about counting the cost of following Jesus and, and being a part of his people. It ain't easy. And, and so she makes that very clear to her daughters-in-law. And one of them says, you know, now that I think of it, I'm going back to my own home. But we saw that beautiful thing where Ruth clings to her and then declares her faith, not, not in Naomi, but in Naomi's God and how she wants to be a part of Naomi's people who follow this God, Yahweh. And, and so it is that they come back to Bethlehem. Now, anytime you're reading scripture, it's a good thing to notice repetition. So anytime you're reading along and you see a word repeated, you might just stop and take note of that. might even be a good thing to, to look that word up and make sure that you know what it means. Here, it's Bethlehem that's repeated. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, now, that in telling the story of Naomi and Ruth coming back to Bethlehem, there's no reason to repeat We've, we know that that's where they're going. We, we heard that earlier in the story, that they were going to return back to Bethlehem. And so as we get to this verse, just saying, okay, they got to Bethlehem. But why does God repeat it? Well, part of how we see that is how the passage ends with another third repetition of Bethlehem. And particularly, Bethlehem linked to the beginning of the barley harvest. 
we've seen how Bethlehem means the house of bread. And so Naomi, who went out because there wasn't food to eat, has come back to the house of bread at the beginning of the barley harvest. It's, it's a literary device that, that God is using of his in, inclusio to, to set this out and say, this is significant. This is forewarning you of some things that are, that are coming and that the hope and expectation of what that is. But that's not what catches Naomi's attention. After repeating Bethlehem twice, it says the whole town was stirred because of them. And they ask, is this Naomi? Now, in, in their asking that question, you can hear the, the tone that, that, wait a minute, where, where's Naomi's husband? Where are Naomi's sons? I mean, again, these people know Naomi and her family. And here comes Naomi with none of the rest of her family but this Moabite woman. You see, they, they know her and are aghast at her returning. She is coming back like a dog with its tail between its legs. To be fed, for sure. But also in shame. She's, she's an object of ridicule by the whole town. Everybody sees Naomi returning. And it's, it's not a joyous or victorious return. She's come back to face the music, as it were. And, and we see in this how the very means that God gives us in brothers and sisters in the, in the family of God can also make doing what is right more difficult. The, the very thing that God gives us in the family of the people of God can, can sometimes make it harder for us to, to admit our sin. Well, if I go and admit that, everybody's going to know. But that's actually part of what God has designed for our good. He doesn't do that to, to punish us. He does that for our good because it is through the restoration, through coming back and admitting our sin, that, that we're able to hear the gospel from real live people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that that's been forgiven. You don't have to carry that around anymore. Whereas in the, in the big city where you go and nobody knows your name, it's easy to, to not face that look, right? To not have those judging eyes. But likewise, there's, there's very little of, of any rejoicing in in Redemption and celebration. Oh yeah, so you had a hard time and you got over it? Big deal. Now, we need to recognize that God has given Naomi this hometown and these people as part of the people of God, not just to find fault with her, not just to pile on her shame, but actually as a means of his grace to work her through that shame and come to the point of freedom and joy and delight. So here they come to the house of bread at the beginning of the barley harvest and everybody's aghast. Everybody is asking her, Naomi, what, 
What has happened? And that brings us to our second point. Not only is it sometimes difficult to be where everybody knows your name, but secondly, Naomi sings a song of woe. We see this in verses 12 and 13. I tried to, in your order of worship, to, to set this apart uh, in using what we recognize usually in the scripture for songs. Uh, you, you see that in your order of worship where we've got the, the passage there of Ruth 1, 19 to 22? It's indented starting with, do not call me Naomi. And then, and then is uh, uh, poetry lines going down to, uh, the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. What I, what I found fascinating was that the response that Naomi gives when they say, is this Naomi? She, she gives her answer to them in very poetic language. It, it's almost like a song. This is something that Naomi has been thinking hard and long about. Reminds me of the, the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son. You remember when the prodigal son is off in the far country and he's, he's blown all of his inheritance and he's living in squalor and he's, he's jealous even of what the pigs have to eat? And he says to himself, I know my father's employees, my father's working hands eat better than I do. I'll go back and plead my case with dad so that he just hires me on as, as one of his employees. Not as son, but, but as, a, as employee. And that on the way back from that far country, he practices, he goes over what he's going to say to his dad. Remember that? And, and we get that kind of sense here. Listen to what Naomi says. She says, do not call me Naomi, which, by, by the way, is, is important in terms of its meaning. Uh, it, it is uh, blessed or my delight. Don't call me my delight. Call me Mara, bitter. We, we read earlier in the, in the worship service from uh, the, the um, bringing the people out of the exodus in chapter 15 of when they come to the water there of Mara, bitterness, and they can't drink it because it's bitter. She's using that same Hebrew word of bitterness. Call me bitterness. Why? She says, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. That, that preposition for is often also translated because. It's giving the purpose behind this. Here's why you ought to call me bitterness rather than my delight. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. You see the, the parallelism there, of just like when we were looking at the Psalms over Advent. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? It's like in, in the road back from Moab to Bethlehem, she's been going over this in her own mind. What am I going to say? You know, it's a small town. It's not like I can just kind of, you know, sneak back in and, and nobody will notice. No, everybody's going to notice. Naomi, where have you been? What's been going on? So sorry to hear about your husband and, and both your boys. Ah, oh, this is horrible. And so she's been practicing and, and reciting this to herself of how she's been done wrong. Of, of all the ways that her growing up as part of the people of God and, 
and reciting, look at how the Lord has been good to me. Let me count the ways. We sang, count your blessings, count them one by one. She's traded counting her blessings in for counting the wrongs that God has done to her. And it's not just that she's counting those wrongs that the Lord has done to her, but she's nurturing that. She's, she's holding on to it. It's like in the, in the Lord of the Rings, the, 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 the ring, and, and Gollum is, is, has had the ring come to him, and he, and he holds on to it. He calls it my precious. And if we stand back and look at that, it's like, that's, that's so messed up, right? Why, why would you nurture, why would you hold something that's evil and that will harm you and, and therefore then caress it and keep it close to you. Because that's what we do in our sin. The, the very things that we ought to be crying out to the Lord deliver us from these things. And instead, we, we dress them up. We hold them close. We clutch them. She says, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Well, I want us to see these three things in Naomi's song of woe. First is how she speaks. Then second, what she speaks. And then third, what does the Lord have to do with us in these things? I've already mentioned how this is poetic language. We see the, the, um, the parallelism here, the, the uh, rep repetition of these things, or talking about things in, in two different ways. She refers to the Lord both by his covenant name, Yahweh. That's where you, you see the, the small caps, Lord. But also, she uses this other term for God. What's the term she uses for God besides Lord? The Almighty. The Almighty. You see, Naomi knows the God of the Bible. She knows Yahweh. She knows what God has done in covenanting with her and his people. And, and she recognizes him as the Lord. But she's also relating to God as the Almighty, the Almighty conqueror, the Almighty to crush. The, the Almighty is definitely all-powerful. But in her experience, because she's looking at the Lord through her experience rather than through the word of the Lord, she sees his power is what has taken her through all these difficulties. The, the Almighty's power is the one that didn't save her husband but let him die, that took both of her sons from her, who left her a widow with no sons to care for her and two daughters-in-law to care for. Yes, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And so she coddles this and feeds this and nurtures it. It's almost as if it's an anti-psalm. Right? God has given us these songs of, of praise that, that we're to be delighting in him and using those psalms to sing to ourselves and one another to remind us of the many ways, to help us count our blessings and name them one by one. And instead, she's, she's turned that around and is using this bitter song, this cry of shame to, to get her deeper and deeper into despondency. 
But then look also not at how she says what she says, but what she says herself. She starts by renaming herself. She says, do not call me Naomi or my delight, but rather call me Mara. Now, this is one of those things that you look at and you think, Naomi, hon, what? How, how could you even use that word when you know Exodus, you know the deliverance of God's people up out of Egypt, and you know what happened at Mara was that God's people were complaining and grumbling. And isn't that exactly what you're doing? She comes back and they say, is that Naomi? She says, no, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, call me bitterness. Let me tell you all the reasons why. She grumbles and complains. And before we're too hard on Naomi, turn that beam of God's brilliant light on yourself. I do this all the time. I'll have just received a blessing of the Lord and then my, you know, I don't even skip a step and I'm ready to, to remember some other thing that I'm stressed about. Some other thing that, that I'm worried about or anxious about. It's like I don't even take the time sometimes to thank the Lord for what he's just given me before I'm anxiously worrying about and stroking that bitterness. Are we going to have enough? How are we going to afford Colby's tuition? What about this? What, we got a grandbaby coming. What, how do we get ready for that? I don't even know. I've never had a grandbaby before. I don't know what that means. How do I, you know? And, and it, instead of saying, God's given you a grandchild. Rejoice. Celebrate. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll celebrate, but right now I'm busy worrying. Don't bother me. This is what Naomi's getting at, and, and she renames herself. This is something that, that we have in spades in our culture, right? Renaming, use different pronouns. No, no, it's, it's not what God has said is true about me. This is how I'm defining myself. And listen, when you have the audacity to rename yourself, first, that's... It's an insult to your parents, right? They're, they're the ones who named you. In, in most cases, that, that's how that happened. And you're, you're saying, no, mom and dad, no, no, I, I don't want that. I'm the one who defines myself. It, it's such arrogance. She says, no, don't call me my delight. Call me bitterness. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me indeed. I went away full. Now, wait, just hold on a second. How and why were you full, Naomi? Oh, well, because God blessed me abundantly. Not based on anything that I did. He blessed me. He made me full. I had a husband. I had two sons. Not just one son to carry on the family name. I had two sons an heir and a spare. I, I had fullness. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Now notice that. It's striking. I went away full. Who's she crediting with her fullness? Me. I was full. But then in terms of becoming empty, who does she credit with that? 
the Lord. He's the one who brought me back empty. And again, don't just, don't just go after Naomi. You do this same thing. How do I know? Because I do the same thing. And because God's word says this is what we do time after time. We encounter a blessing. Well, thank you very much. We encounter a hardship. God, why did you do that? I mean, it'd be ludicrous if, if it weren't just so much our, our habits. It is insanity to claim for ourselves what God has given us and then to blame him for what he's doing, he says in his word, is for our good and his glory. He only brought Naomi through this time of emptiness for her good. So that he could fill her back up again, and this time she would be able to see that it was all the Lord's doing. And to give him the praise for it. So we see how she gives this response and what she says in her response but what does that mean for us? What would the Lord have for us to hear and to know in these things? What is God saying to us through preserving Naomi's response? He gives us this story, not just of Ruth. It's the book's name. We, we tend to focus on Ruth in this. But, but here we have a particular emphasis on Naomi. And he gives us this story of Naomi without pulling punches. It acknowledges Naomi's bitterness. It acknowledges what she's wrestling with. Because not only does she find fault with God, but as it goes on to say, the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? The word that's used there for calamity is actually evil. She's saying the Lord has brought evil on me. She's accusing God of evil. But of course, that's what we all do when we don't respond to what God has decreed and done with joy and faith. It doesn't pull any punches. It doesn't water this down. Naomi is giving false witness against the Lord himself. And we do the same. God is using this story to be a mirror that as we see Naomi as she actually is, we might more readily identify as the perpetrators ourselves. So the question for you from this text and looking at it is will you nurture bitterness? Will you focus on your disappointments? Will you focus on the, all the ways that the Lord has slighted you or left you empty where you think he should have give, brought you to fullness? Or will you trust in Christ alone, knowing that he is working all of these things together with his purpose to make us more like Christ? third thing we find in verse 22. It says, Naomi returned 
and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is getting at both of these things of shame and hope. Let's look first at shame. It, it repeats again this whole thing of them coming to Bethlehem and then at the beginning of the barley harvest, but we're going to hold that off for just a moment in terms of the hope. Let's deal with how this gets at the shame of Naomi. It says, Naomi returned and Ruth, Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her. And we've looked at how that's wrong. That was sin for her, for her sons to marry a Moabitess. And, and so we have Ruth in tow as a living, breathing demonstration of Naomi's shame. And then, I love this, again, repetition. It identifies Ruth as being the Moabite, and then it says that they both just returned from where? The country of Moab. Right? It, it just heaps on these things of this is the way that they return. This is the way that they come back home to Bethlehem, as objects of scorn, as those who have their shame publicly displayed. And so that shame represents Naomi's embitteredness. She's the t subject of town gossip. She's shackled to her daughter-in-law and returns home again from a land of incestuous debauchery. If ever there was someone who needed a new start, it was Naomi. And that is balanced with the hope of coming to the house of bread at the beginning of the harvest. That brings up all kinds of questions of what is this harvest going to be like? Has God really restored favor to his people? Or will there be more drought? All of those things are racing around in Naomi's mind and heart. And that it's presented to us in this way so that we as the readers might be grappling with those questions as well. So what about us? What, is, what are the specific challenges that we face as a congregation that are similar to what Naomi was facing? Maybe for us, dealing with shame, dealing with our own sin, and that if we actually really confess then, then people will never look at us the same. I find this very, very common in the church today, that we will admit what we think of as respectable sins, right? In, in prayer group, in Bible studies, oh, would you guys please pray for me? I, my neighbor just got this, you know, new boat, and, and I'm just having a hard time with, with envy. I just, you know, I know it's still February, but you know, summer's coming, and, and uh, boy, that boat sure looks good. Would you, would you pray for me that, that I don't envy that, that boat? And we all say, absolutely we'll pray for you. Why? Because we're all envying other things ourselves, right? may not be a boat, but it's this or it's that or what, you know. And so, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll pray for you. But you wouldn't ever dare mention the sins that you know they're not going to respond that way too. And, and so we, we keep those below the surface, where God's word tells us actually to confess our sins one to another. Come home. Face that you've been in Moab. Don't try to hide that. Rather, confess it. 
Because the evil one loves to keep you in that world of bitterness. To keep you from ever admitting those secret dark sins that you've committed. That if, if your brothers and sisters at such a respectable church as First Congregational Church of Woodstock, well, they'd, they'd, they'd turn the other way. And as long as you believe that and continue to hide those things, you never get to experience the wonder of what we're going to see with Naomi. That she comes back with Moabitess in, in tow. That, that she's the laughingstock of, of all of her, her neighbors and supposed friends. But God's going to turn this entire thing around. But if you don't confess, then you miss out on that wonder of God's forgiveness. And if you haven't experienced that kind of forgiveness, it'll also affect the way that you don't forgive one another. If we think, well, Jesus has just forgiven me of these little respectable sins. And so if others sin against me in respectable, nice little ways, well, then fine, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive them too. But what happens when they sin against you big whoppers? Right? They sin against you in ways that cost you, that hurt you, that drive you to despair. I can't imagine that they did that. And then someone says, well, as a Christian, aren't you supposed to forgive them? What are you talking about? Right? Sure, I'll forgive them all kinds of vanilla little things. But this, well, they need the justice of God. That's, that's what they need. Oh, and you do too, right? You see, Naomi is waiting upon the Messiah who's going to come and make all the promises that they've heard through Abraham and Moses and David true. And Jesus comes as this Messiah. And he dies on the cross. He's, he's not just doing that for, for some little sins. He does that for all of the sins of all of his people. He goes to his death to forgive us. He is the Almighty who has not left us in our filth. And has come to earth in the person of Jesus, God the Son, and has lived a life of perfect obedience in our place and has gone to the cross for our shame washing away every bit of our self-loathing and bitterness with his own precious blood you see this is what the scriptures promise us and that jesus has done and it's the only thing that will enable us to actually forgive others when they have sinned against us this is what Naomi is going to experience. This is what this is all leading us up to. And what I want us to be in prayer about and asking the Lord, please reveal these things to me because I don't want to just forgive little sins. I want to know how deeply you have forgiven me so that I can forgive others with the same radical self-sacrifice that Christ demonstrated on the cross. Do you believe this? Is this your hope? Is this where you go running to 
when you don't have the strength to forgive as Christ has forgiven you? Or do you just try harder? You just pull yourselves up by the bootstraps and, and really try to figure out a way to forgive them. Let us throw ourselves at the feet of the cross and find there the Almighty, who's not just the Almighty to punish, but the Almighty to save. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for Naomi. Thank you for her struggles. Thank you for her public shame and all these ways that you worked in bringing her home empty. Lord, help us to give you thanks, not just for the things that make our lives more comfortable or more enjoyable, but the hard things that make our lives more like you, Lord Christ. We pray that you would help us, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us to confess our sins one to another and to keep our eyes focused on the loving kindness of God displayed in Christ on the cross, that we might love you and so love the others that you